Welcome back, everyone. My name is Michael LeBlanc, Director and Senior Portfolio Manager at Canaccord Unity Wealth Management. And thanks for joining us here every week, uh, Mike on Money, for our weekly update on everything that's going on in the market and what we see coming up in the market. And today we're going to be talking about small cap or small company investing. I've mentioned this uh, a few times as a theme uh, for, for your portfolio, and I've not really covered it too much detail. Uh, but today I want to go into a little bit more of what that means, uh, what that looks like, and uh, how to pick them. Um, but as always, with uh, anything that we cover on, uh, on our shows here, remember, uh, this is for information purposes only, not to be taken as advice. Uh, if you have any questions around small caps in your, in your portfolio or how to use them in your portfolios, by all means, reach out to us. Uh, happy to go through that. Go to mikeonmoney.com. Uh, or give us a call, email, uh, whatever is uh, the best way for you is to get a hold of us. Happy to answer any of your questions and take a look at your specific situation. So with that, if you're watching us live today, if you have any questions, hit that Q&A button. Happy to answer them uh, or follow up, uh, for sure follow up with you afterwards. If you're watching on the pod, or sorry, listening on the podcast or uh, watching on the replay, uh, at home, uh, again, mikeonmoney.com is our portal. You can go there, um, get access to all our videos, our podcasts, and everything else. But you can also uh, fire in your questions there uh, and all my contact information is there as well. If you want to give a shout, uh, happy to answer any of those questions. So let's dive into things this week um, as we document. I can't remember how many weeks we are into... Uh, into the pandemic. You can see from the background, actually, I'm in the office today. So, uh, so we do have a lot of protocols and it's, it's very, very quiet in the office, but a bit of change of scenery uh, and uh, documenting in these videos and recordings my descent into madness through all this. But uh, let's dive into what's going on in the market. Uh, the US trade we're going to take a look at for March. Uh, the trade deficit's actually been creeping up, so we'll take a quick look at that. Uh, Canada trade for March as well, uh, see how Canada's been doing. Pfizer's quarter, first quarter earnings coming out, obviously a lot of focus around the vaccine. Uh, and CVS Health taking a look at, um, you know, on the retail front of the healthcare or uh, pharmaceutical side of things, uh, see how, that they're, how they're doing. Uh, as far as the markets go so far this morning, we did see a little bit of tick down today after a bit of uh, upside yesterday. So a little bit of back and forth. This trend's been going on pretty much through the last half of April. Uh, as people find their barons here through the summer uh, with the reopenings in some areas, obviously in the, US, in the United States, but uh, obviously uh, some can still a lot of concerns around uh, the, the pandemic uh, around the world, obviously India being a hotspot, um, you know, setting world records, even, even bigger numbers than, than the US at, at, uh, in their uh, highest peaks. Uh, so still a lot of concerns around that and what that means. So we're still seeing a little uncertainty out there, uh, but good opportunities in a lot of areas. Cover those up. Uh, the futures, as I mentioned, uh, pretty much across the board, S&P, NASDAQ, the tech, you know, the tech, uh, the NASDAQ side of things, uh, the tech, tech savvy side of things, uh, obviously been feeling a bit more pressure this year than last year, uh, where they pretty much could do no wrong last year. 
Uh, and that's just a little bit of reality setting in. You know, how much, how much is this repeatable? How much is this, you know, value? And how far out did the valuations get? So uh, I, I still think that there's a lot of value in technology. We've covered whole videos on the topic. Uh, areas of technology, you know, technology is a broad word. There's a lot of ways to slice that up. And if you're going into the right areas uh, of the markets uh, or you're going into the right sectors, um, there's still a lot of value there, but the, the, the broad-based technology, I think, has still got some overvaluation to, to, uh, to absorb in there. Uh, as far as what we're seeing on the, uh, the, the broad uh, market front, Uber and Lyft uh, you know, are, uh, have been in this ongoing battle. So this is a bit of a replay of a story we've been following out of California, where there's back and forth uh, between uh, Uber and Lyft in particular, but it's really around this gig economy, right? Am I a contractor when I work for these companies or am I an employee? Because there's, there's very different benefit structures uh, with those two. Um, you know, it's funny, I got into a big long discussion uh, with my uh, 19, 20 year old son uh, about this on the weekend, trying to, you know, he was trying to wrap his head around the difference. Uh, you know, why he thought, you know, he saw some pros of the gig economy, uh, but, you know, of course, there's drawbacks of giving up those employee benefits as well, depending on your situation. So uh, we, what we've seen in the state of California is this back and forth between the lawmakers and the companies uh, fighting to, um, you know, maintain this gig or contract work uh, uh, style uh, of employing people versus uh, making them full employees, which, you know, comes more costs to the firms. Obviously, they have to provide more benefits um, uh, and, and less, sometimes less flexibility for the employees. So it, it, it is a, a bit of um, push and pull dependent on your viewpoint. Uh, so this fight's going to Washington. So we're now seeing Uber and Lyft taking, getting ready for this fight to go to, to, to Washington as they lobby. This has a massive impact on these types of uh, business profiles because at the end of the day, if, uh, you know, if, if California sets a precedent or, or the U.S. set a precedent, uh, you know, that can ripple and, and that will completely change their cost structure or their business structure uh, in an industry uh, where Uber has been struggling to make money, uh, they've been they've been in a stage of spending money to to build client base in the hopes that one day they can you know start turning a profit. Now they have this massive client base, uh, they can become very very profitable. Very common, especially in the technology front, to take this approach. Um, and uh, if they lose this fight, that doesn't mean the end of Lyft or that structure or end of Uber or that structure. That just means they're going to have to really relook at how they price it out and how they offer it, and uh, it will dramatically transform it. Uh, and this has ripple effects to other things like the, the skip the dishes and the DoorDash and Uber Eats and, and, and the likes, uh, because they're all kind of based on that gig economy or that contract work. So we're watching that really closely as we've seen this transformation move to this type of hiring practices. Uh, and obviously it has um, grown some significant industries and companies through using that model. It'll be interesting to see how uh, that progresses uh, and whether they, they, they solidify their model or they take a step back a bit. Uh, Biden and Powell seem to be on the same, uh, same, same path, paddling in the same direction on policy front. 
you know, basically focusing on, uh, you know, historic course of pairing massive government spending uh, with ultra ease, uh, easy monetary policy. Uh, so now I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I actually, uh, you know, look at some of these programs that the Biden administration is rolling out, whether it be the infrastructure package, the, the um, economic growth package, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the green technology package. Uh, there's a lot of great things there uh, that are building jobs for the future. And, and, and that's something we have not seen for a while. Uh, in the U.S., uh, even even going back into Obama years, I'm not just picking on the last administration there, um, where you know the Obama administration obviously uh, didn't have the Senate support, so you know putting any of these things through, they were a bit uh, handcuffed. Uh, but we didn't even see those proposals. So we're seeing a lot of these proposals moving away um, from a just a monetary policy, uh, you know, just a, a, a recession policy but really trying to reset the trajectory of the economy completely. Uh, and and uh, I, I do think there's a lot of positives in there now. Is it all gonna be right? Probably not, you know, almost impossible to say, um, you know, that, that we'd see something, so we get it that perfectly. That being said, uh, it, it is taking that longer term approach, uh, which, for a lot of elected officials, and I'm not just picking on the U.S. here, you know, in these four-year cycles, where you know most of the time they're afraid to do something that's going to take longer term to show, really show results, uh, because you know they have to see the fruits of their work uh, within the next two years, because they have to start you know running for the next election again. So this is taking a bit longer-term approach. I think very healthy. Uh, I think a lot of good things happen in there. It's going, to, it's going to be very interesting to watch because they they do have this unique opportunity to do this now, given that the economy hit a big reset button, right? No, no administration in a long time in the U.S. or otherwise has had the opportunity to kind of hit a reset button like they've, they've had this chance to uh, and really kind of set a, a long-term tra trajectory for a strong, healthy uh, economic recovery. So... I like a lot what we're seeing there, but we're gonna to have to watch it closely for, because there will be hiccups along the way. Speaking of hiccups along the way, Berkshire Hathaway's hidden, uh, or facing a lot of headwinds from, from their uh, shareholders as it looks into its future, you know, taking some, uh, some very different approaches to the post-pandemic challenges with looming inflation, you know, acquisitions everywhere. Uh, they're sitting on last number I heard they're sitting on 145 billion dollars in the, in their, their portfolios. Obviously, a number that most uh, portfolios don't get to enjoy. But um, you know, also what they're going to do with that money, their environmental, it's, you know, environmental and social disclosures have have, have not been a, a strong side for uh, Buffett. Just uh, you know, he's been around a long, long time before any of these things really came to the forefront. So uh, getting a lot of pressure from his shareholders on that one. On the supply chain continues to bottleneck, uh, especially in the US, the manufacturing numbers, the activity grew, but at a slower pace. Uh, but at the same time, we've seen demand continue to grow um, and uh, you know, lots of shortages as we've seen more vaccinations happen and more, more uh, and stimulus packages kind of being uh, unleashed uh, for this pent up demand, uh, the manufacturing side has not been able to keep up. And we're seeing that in, in longer lead time, shortage for, for
corporate products and rising costs, and obviously pushing pushing inflation up. So uh, we're going to have to see how the U.S. manufacturing side adjusts to that increased demand if they can catch up. To mention, Powell is focusing on the economy's recovery, uh, but they're they're looking into uh, reports now. Uh, that is being clouded or slowed a little bit by racial and educational gaps. And, and we saw that in, in the administration's, uh, some of the proposals focusing on education, focusing on, on food plans for, for young children, focusing on community college um, tuitions, uh, you know, trying to close that gap. And it is in that, uh, you know, racial or minority groups that are being underserviced in those areas. And, and, and especially when we look at you know, what side of the economy was worse affected in the United States through the pandemic. And of course it was those hourly workers, right? The, the less affluent communities um, and, and no big surprise because on those hourly jobs, you know, they don't have the health plans. They don't have universal healthcare in the US, of course. You know, those people are, uh, you know, more hospitality, more retail uh, focused jobs were hit harder. So Powell is really focusing on how they're gonna stimulate that we talked about this last year that uh, I, th I think at that point, Biden had put it in the white collar versus blue collar category, but really how they're going to turn around those blue collar jobs, the hourly jobs, really focusing on that side of things where it was harder hit. Uh, and even as, as we see these economic recovery numbers coming out, um, that, that area of the economy has not seen the benefit of those recovery yet. There's still a lot of work to, to do in that area. Uh, so it's good to see that they're looking at it. I don't know how many, how much time they spent on getting those reports. I think it was pretty, pretty obvious right at the forefront as to who is being affected more and who continue to be affected the most by, uh, by the pandemic closures. The U.S. Supreme Court uh, turned down or refused to revive a Wells Fargo uh, account scandal suit. So this goes back again, kind of a bit of replay on a story back in the day. There's actually an interest in, uh, I just watched recently, an interest in a documentary on Netflix uh, on the Wells Fargo case uh, from the employee's uh, standpoint, looking at how, if you if you remember back, how uh, Wells Fargo was opening uh, accounts and, and credit cards for people, um, for, 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 for clients uh, under fake account names, for, for clients that didn't ask for them. Uh, basically, they were putting pressure, more pressure on employees to keep their jobs. They had to open new accounts and they were obviously employees uh, got creative and even management was encouraging that, uh, the, the creativity. And there was billions of dollars of fines uh, back in 2016 uh, on Wells Fargo ar around all this. And they had to kind of really change, but a lot of people got fired. Uh, there was class action lawsuits. Um, there were retirement pension plans for, um, for employees that were affected uh, due, to, due to those losses and uh, firings and obviously the fines. So there was a, there was a lawsuit um, that uh, a class action by employees against Wells Fargo to recover some of that. Um, it, it failed uh, and they were trying to uh, bring it back in an appeal uh, and it got rebuffed by the Supreme Court. So that's not gonna move forward. Uh, so we'll probably see that story die out, although not those who were affected by it, obviously. Uh, more on the acquisition in front, Meredith uh, is to sell their TV stations to Gray, uh, Gray Television uh, for $2.7 billion. So just more M&A out there. Uh, obviously, in this environment of uh, low interest rate, low capital costs, 
uh, we continue to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions. So uh, a bigger one there, and they're going to spin off a magazine unit out of the sale. On the COVID-19 front, well, I don't know how much I can update people more about this. I think everyone's pretty much staying on top of things. Obviously, things are improving in Canada as far as the, the vaccine rollout in BC. It doesn't seem to be moving fast enough, but it has accelerated massively. Uh, I think uh, I think we're, we'll get into age 50 up are actually being contacted by this Thursday, I heard, uh, for uh, the vaccines. Uh, and then of course, that's the Pfizer and Moderna's. The, uh, the AstraZeneca ones are, uh, have been open for, I think we're at 30 plus, although I think supplies running pretty short on that one right now. But new supplies are coming in every day uh, and they're speeding, they're speeding up um, the, the rate at which people are getting it. They're talking about 18 plus by the end of May, uh, which is all good news. Uh, but now we have to be really cautious what we're seeing in the United States where you know they, they've done a great job of uh, ramping things up but now they're running into the headwinds of people not wanting to get them. So, you know, this is the next stage we're going to have to deal with because that herd immunity does take, you know, everyone trying to get it. And, and, and really we need to look at adults uh, going out there and get them. Not too, you know, um, most of us should be considering uh, getting the vaccine. As I mentioned, I've got mine. Uh, I encourage every, my first one anyway, uh, I encourage everyone to, to look at it. I mean, everyone has a different situation and health situation. Um, but to get to that herd immunity, uh, remember we got to get above 70, 80% people vaccinated. Uh, and that doesn't include, you know, we haven't even addressed, you know, kids under 18 yet. And that's a big portion of the population. So to really get there, it's going to take a lot, a lot of the, uh, the, the adult population to actually get vaccinated. Uh, I, I know it's a new thing. Uh, I, I recommend everyone to do their own research uh, and, and real research, you know, look at the stats, look at the real research uh, and make the best choice for yourself. But uh, that's what's going to move us forward. Hopefully bring them, continue to bring the numbers down. Uh, obviously, BC is doing better uh, as of late, not perfect, but better. Uh, Alberta is having challenges uh, and Ontario and Quebec seem to be improving a little bit, not as fast as, as BC, but, but get in there. Uh, but as we see around the world, uh, it's not gone and uh, we need to continue to deal with these issues. Uh, so coming up in the markets, as I mentioned, Pfizer is expected to have their first quarter earnings. Uh, looking for some good numbers, really get some better clarity through to future pricing around the vaccines. Uh, you know what that's meaning to their earnings uh, and their overall business. Uh, and as they move forward, you know, this is the first round of vaccines. We got the second round. Uh, and then very obviously this, the coronavirus is one of those ones where boosters are going to probably be required much like the flu on an annual basis. So how that's going to impact their ongoing earnings moving forward. So start to get the first glimpses into that. Uh, we're looking for data from the Commerce Department that is expected to show the U.S. trade deficit rising again after a big jump uh, last month or in February. Um, you know, as, as, as we mentioned, the U.S. commerce or the U.S. economy uh, recovering uh, with the stimulus people out there buying goods and the demand increasing and the U.S. Uh, factories not being able to keep up. So that means imported more goods uh, from outside of the U.S. increasing the trade deficit. Uh, and as mentioned, also CVS is going to uh, be reporting. Uh, so we're looking to take a look at how their earnings were impacted by the vaccines, because of course the uh, certain vaccines, uh, the AstraZeneca being one, 
uh, being and, and Johnson Johnson the other being administered through um, the uh, pharmaceutical or through the drugstores, um, pharmacies, sorry, uh, and how that's going to affect. And also they're doing a lot there in the US, they're administering a lot of the tests and how that impacted their forecast of earnings for the year. As I mentioned, Buffett uh, is, is having some challenges. So he's, he's likely to name Greg Abels his, his successor, maybe he's thrown in the towel. He's decided, you know, too much has changed and uh, he's going to, uh, you know, step down. I'm sure he's going to remain very active in the company, uh, but step down as the chief executive officer of uh, Berkshire. Uh, and this been, grooming has been happening for many, many years. So no big surprise on that front. Uh, Verizon's out there looking to sell uh, off Yahoo and AOL for $5 billion. Uh, again, not a surprise. This has been chopped around for a while. Uh, funny enough, you know, the, the price tag, some people are like, well, that's a big number. Uh, they paid more for that, picking them up. So it's kind of a loss sell-off for them. Um, they're just not... You know, it's not become a core part of their strategy or their business moving forward. So uh, they're moving away from that media advertising world. Tesla's having continues to have challenges. We mentioned this a few times in the past. They're in a scrutiny with regulators in China, uh, so they're stepping up their engagement, trying to uh, you know navigate a very different market, the regulatory market in in China for almost any industry is very different than what we deal with in uh, what we call Western world or the United States for sure. Uh, so more and more around the, sa the safety regulations and uh, you know, how they deal with uh, service and uh, customer complaints. So a new world for them over there and they're tripping a little bit and see how they navigate through that. Uh, not to, it doesn't help of course, the tensions between China and the US when it comes to trade. Um, obviously the Chinese regulators and governments put more and more pressure on US companies um, to do business over there as the U.S. has put pressure on some of their companies to do business here. Uh, Ford and BMW has led a $130 million investment into solid-state battery startup called Solid Power. So this is them securing uh, supply for their vehicles moving forward. So I wouldn't say it, it, it's a, a massive uh, investment for them. $130 million is a lot of money. Uh, but this is very common for uh, car manufacturers to invest into companies that they see as part of their future supply chain or immediate supply chain as they uh, look to uh, grow that sector, the, the electric vehicle sector. So, um, you know, as demand increases and we're already seeing shortages in this arena for car manufacturers. Uh, in fact, we talked about that last week on the chip manufacturer, uh, the chip manufacturing front, cars not being able to get supply. So in investing in these companies kind of giving them priority and uh, first rights at, uh, at manufacturing uh, of those components for their, uh, for their units is important for them. Another flashback story with Epic Games taking on Apple on an antitrust trial, trial sorry, uh, with Fortnite. So again, if you're a gamer uh, and you're a teenager or you have a teenager, uh, you would know Fortnite as being uh, a very popular game. I don't understand it myself, I've tried. I, I do not know uh, that kids use, and I'm, I'm told that this is a term, a cringy dance from Walmart video <laughs> that's popular in it. Uh, but basically the, the, the lawsuits about, just for a quick recap, 
is uh, as Epic has termed it, they've created a wall, Apple's created this walled garden, this Venus flytrap type uh, of experience for the users where you have to use the Apple store or Apple app store on your device, Apple devices. Uh, and they, um, you know, demand that companies pay them to be on there or take a big cut rather from all their sales to be on that platform. So not being a fair playing field for everybody, uh, for developers, uh, game developers. So, uh, so Epic's taking them on. They're also taking on Google in, in, in the, same, uh, the same breath. Uh, although that's not at the forefront, it all started with Apple and Apple is kind of known to be a bit more ruthless uh, when it comes to their app store. Coming up in Canada, we're taking a look at the trade surplus. Uh, which is narrowed a bit uh, down to about 700 million from a billion dollars the previous month, uh, and, and uh, keeping a look on keeping a look at that as as you know we are hoping to return back to normal economy as things reopen again. Uh, you know we're looking at the the value of building permits uh, that's expected also to slow a little bit, not drop, just the rate slow a little bit from February, um, pretty much normal seasonal movement there. Uh, on the Canadian manufacturing front, we're doing better in the U.S. We're, we're looking to set a record pace in April. So keeping up with the demand, uh, which is positive for our economy as it moves forward. Bombardier is looking to put their first quarter out on their business jet revenue. That's supposed to be ahead of street estimates. So good news to hear everyone's out there buying their own private jets to get back to traveling. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, if you remember last week, we did cover the budget. Buy it before next January. There's a new luxury tax coming in on your jets. So get out there and buy them as quickly as possible. Bombardier is also uh, seeing a pretty good year on the, rec the recreational vehicles, sea uh, dues, ski dues, um, motorized vehicles like that, uh, as more and more people look at uh, at home recreation for the, their vacation dollars. Uh, so uh, it's been a good year for Bombardier. And it looks like a continued uh, positive look forward for them as well. Another uh, merger uh, with the pot producer Green Thumb in the United States has entered agreement with uh, Dharma Pharma to expand out um, their um, their private, uh, sorry, their their uh, state exposures. Uh, they're now the second largest producer in the U.S. Uh, with a 13 state um, footprint, uh, and that's pretty much on the idea that. You know the talks and, and more and more likelihood that we're going to see the U.S. federally legalize uh, the marijuana. Uh, obviously, it's state right now, and there's a lot of problems around having it state uh, approved and not federally approved. Not the least of which being able to open uh, bank accounts or transfer uh, proceeds across state uh, because you're um, it's legal in the state, but if you transfer profits and revenue uh, or even share your share your stock across state lines that's crossing federal lines which we're breaking the law so um obviously we're seeing some uh, you know green thumb in this case but other uh producers in the united states gearing up for a potential uh, legalization federally on the dollar front on the forex front u.s dollar rose slightly still within its kind of bandwidth not really uh, gaining too much ground uh the canadian dollar is still sitting at 81.25 it did hit almost 82 cents uh last week so, um, so continue that that weakness trend we're seeing seeing there. Uh, the euro recouped a little, uh, continued sorry to recoup from their early first quarter losses through April, 
that continue to creep up. Still dealing a little with this Brexit and obviously uh, pandemic recovery. Uh, as we head into May and June, we're looking for more and more positivity. Uh, and we saw the U.S. Treasury creep back up a little bit after pulling back over the last couple of weeks. Uh, still not at the high for the year, but a little bit of positive. On the commodity front, oil continues to head higher north of $65. Again, just on that optimism of uh, later in this year, demand continuing to rise. Again, not to pre-pandemic levels, but obviously uh, continuing to uh, increase. Uh, especially we see more and more uh, people getting out to public holiday celebrations, uh, both in, in, in China and Japan, even though they have areas remain closed, uh, demand forecast is looking better. Gold continued to uh, move up and down slightly in the very narrow fluctuation band we've been moving in. Uh, still optimistic on gold uh, when we talk about inflation, uh, but hasn't had a lot of movement in the last few months. So let's take a look at small cap. Why small cap, what is it, and why do I think it deserves its own little feature here? So when we talk about small cap, you've heard me mention uh, you know, the value of having small cap in your portfolios. Uh, obviously, people mo most likely look at small cap as being more risky, and for sure it can be, but it is also some of the fastest growing aspects of the markets or the economy, um, and especially in early recovery stages, because uh, what grows quickest is the most nimble companies, the ones that can adjust to change quicker. Bigger companies uh, may not be affected as, as badly or as much in a downturn, which you know we, we I constantly talk about the importance of those in your portfolios. But they're slower to grow, they're slower to adapt, and they're slower to take advantage of new areas uh, of growth. And so, so why it's important to look at that. When we talk about small cap, we are talking about companies we're talking about the market capitalization of the company, the total value of all their shares or, or worth. Uh, and we talk about that between 250 million and $2 billion. So not your tiny corner stores. These are, these are companies with real value uh, and, and future growth potential. Stocks with uh, market cap below 250, uh, we usually call micro caps. And if you go below, below 50 million in value, those are nano caps. Both as well have healthy um, opportunities given the right due diligence and the, and, and the right opportunities. But we're going to focus on the small cap here today. So small cap, you know, you can trade them on exchanges. Um, however, a lot of them can be found on NASDAQ or uh, what we call the OTC or over-the-counter uh, market bulletin board. Uh, and this is not surprising. These exchanges have more lenient list listings, uh, costs, and requirements. So, you know, the cost to maintain a listing or, or cost to keep your stocks uh, you know, trading on the markets is real, uh, and and sometimes jump into you know the TSX or the S and P five hundred too quickly is just you know extra costs and slowing your growth. Money you could be reinvesting into future growth uh, before you're ready for it or before the company's ready for it. So we generally, can find these stocks uh, more so on the Nasdaq and the OTC. And a lot of them also has moved into the TSX or the TSX venture uh, as, as they grow and continue to expand. Small caps are offered, uh, you know, they do offer that higher growth potential. Um, yeah, in fact, the, the small cap value index generally outperforms the S&P 500 over the long, long term. So, uh, you know, more volatile for sure, but definitely offers a lot of opportunity. 
uh, and they're best suited for investors who are willing to accept that volatility. If you if you're okay with volatility uh, in your portfolio, or even for a portion of your portfolio, there's nothing wrong with sh shaving off a portion of your portfolio and saying, "Hey, I want to get a little bit more growth. I want more opportunity." Um, but I, and I'm willing to let that percentage of my portfolio ride through that volatility in order to get that. Uh, this is this is what you should be looking at, or having more exposure in into that. Do make sure you work with a team who knows what they're doing. I'm going to walk you through the process at RTM. I work with some uh, great individuals that I've known for more than a decade. I highly respect, and, and this is what they do. Uh, and, and they spend the time to make sure that you're, what you're looking at is right opportunity for you. And it's not one-offs. I am gonna give you some examples today that we like in the portfolios that have been uh, highly researched and, and fit the criteria that we look for, but these are not one-offs to go through in your portfolios. It should be just like the, the large cap that I talk about a lot, uh, You know, the diversification that you want in that portfolio. Um, you want to make sure that each one has its own merits. You're across different sectors, uh, and that you're getting the right exposure. So, so when we look at these, the process here is what's important, and putting together a broad portfolio. Um, everyone should have some exposures in their portfolios. Just everyone has a different percentage depending on their risk tolerances. So let's uh, let's dive into the pro into the process that uh, my uh, my partners use. And, and how they go about doing it. So first of all, we don't look at resource companies, so non-resource, a lot of reasons for that. Not that we don't like the resource sector overall, it's just you're dealing with commodity pricing that fluctuates and uh, can completely change the outlook without um, anything to do with the quality of the company itself. So we don't look at resources. Uh, we look for high revenue growth. So companies that are growing their revenue year over year, quarter over quarter, uh, we want to see that steady improvement. We want to see high gross margins. So are they making money on that revenue that they've got and strong EBITDA momentum. So improving EBITDA uh, quarter over quarter, month over month. Uh, and EBITDA of course stands for earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation and amortization. So we take a look at those earnings and say, are they improving? Uh, on a regular basis. And of course we dive into what the, the source of that is. Because uh, we wanna see a low share count, right? So it means lower volume. So you wanna be able to uh, have someone or, or you yourself be very uh, aware of how to trade low share, uh, low volume or low share count uh, equities. But you know we like that because that means more opportunity for growth down the, uh, and higher torque on the growth down the road. We want high insider ownership, so high commitment by the insiders of the company uh, around that, that continued success. Reoccurring revenues. So, you know, we talked about growing, uh, growing revenues, but we want to see a lot of that reoccurring. Want to make sure that, you know, those customers are coming back, repeat customers, um, that they don't have to go find that revenue again, that the, the new customers that they bring in on, that bring it on uh, lend to that growth in the future underappreciated catalyst. So what has changed recently that hasn't really been priced in that's going to really ramp up that EBITDA or ramp up that revenue going forward? Now that could have been a merger, it could have been acquisition, it could be an expansion, it could be a change in management. We're looking for a catalyst there that means, hey, yes, this stock has not been fully valued yet, but now that this has happened, 
we're looking for it to move forward and, and the market to recognize that value uh, in the future. And an industry tailwind or niche business that allows for uh, the companies to maintain those high margins. And I'll give you some examples as we get into individual names. Uh, <clears throat> take a look at a name, Avante Logic. So this industry is security services. Uh, you know, they work with uh, the travel industry, so Air Canada, transport, uh, financial institutions. Uh, they've, they've had great revenue growth, currently running at 100 million in revenue, 20% uh, gross margin on that, uh, 3 million improvements in, in their adjusted EBITDA. 85% uh, of that revenue, sorry, 85% uh, of that uh, recurring re revenue, uh, sorry, that revenue is recurring. Uh, they demonstrated regular organic growth, you know, about 30%, and more potential for M&A acquisitions in the future. Uh, and the, move, the world is moving towards more security, not less, right? So more travel comes back in, uh, other areas, uh, you know, look at everything around the world, any groups getting together, more and more security in demand. Management owns uh, 29, almost 30% of the outstanding shares. Uh, you know, that's a good commitment, a great commitment by management uh, there, and is currently trading uh, really low to the EV sales. So there's an opportunity that we see out there. Again, part of a broad portfolio checks most of the boxes, and, and we really see that catalyst as the economy and events start to come back into play again. Atlas engineered products, you know, uh, Canadian home builders. So this is the engineered roof trusses, uh, building single and multifamily dwellings. Obviously, I've talked about the construction industry and what's been happening there, the massive growth uh, that, that continues, especially with these low interest rates. Uh, they had a slow uh, last year, so that reflected in their earnings. Uh, of course, when the pandemic shutdowns first built, we saw basically everything stall before start ramping back up. And these things are, you know, well ordered out in advance. So the backlog into their 2021 orders um, is only building. 20% uh, growth margin again, um, not a reoccurring revenue, but contractor relationships are there. So still we like that box. Uh, growing EBITDA, uh, growth is driven by this, this, this housing or building boom, uh, which we expect to continue through this year for sure. Again, almost 30% um, management own, and again, a great value to share price. So small cap, really great value. These are all the same boxes we look for in the large cap. Uh, there's just so much faster growth potential coming out of the small caps. Nova Leap Health, uh, non-medical uh, home healthcare focusing on dementia. So uh, obviously, Nova, uh, uh, revenue growth last year with everything that was going on in the, uh, the care homes and the 2020 shutdown. Uh, but that's where we see that, that turnaround potential. Um, you're looking at more than 30% pre-COVID expansion uh, as more, more needs are going to have to come into place to ensure they don't have the problems they had in 2021, or sorry, 2020, 34% gross margin, uh, quasi reoccurring revenue. Obviously there's patient turnover, but you know, the forecast for the, the, the industry, the tailwind for the need for senior support in society today, especially North America, is only expanding. Uh, so a lot of growth potential, 38% um, management ownership, uh, and again, a good uh, EV to sales uh, ratio. Uh, so a lot of headwinds for growth 
uh, value has been uh, discounted massively what happened last year, um, but that is changing dramatically as we go into 2021 and, and far out into the future. Last one here, Symmetrix. Uh, again, this one's on the, the TSX Venture. Uh, infrastructure components, uh, largest uh, North American cellular concrete provider, um, you know, cost time benefits for infrastructure builds. We've talked about how much money is going in, into infrastructure uh, from the governments. Uh, Canada also uh, does, didn't have the big headline $1.9 trillion investment bill, but all governments invest in, uh, uh, in trying to stimulate economic growth into infrastructure expended. 17% um, revenue growth, uh, backlog sitting at 94 million, uh, re, no recurring revenue, but reoccurring, reoccurring demand as uh, more money pours into uh, this sector and into the expansion. Uh, EBITDA contracted in 2020, but expected to double or triple in 2021. Uh, US infrastructure spending, you know, we did a whole video on the US infrastructure spending package. Uh, this is at the core of that that uh, that 1.9 trillion dollars that's uh, being uh, being negotiated to be rolled out, uh, but it is going to come out in in uh, in, in demand and ownership 10%. Uh, so still a good exposure there. So these are some examples. Remember, don't take these as one-offs. Don't go buy these in your portfolios without taking a look how they can fit into your broader portfolio or or what's your proper risk profiles. But reach out to us, go to mikeonmoney.com. We're happy to walk you through any of those. Um, happy to introduce you to the whole team that can uh, you know, give you a full insight into what we do when we run a uh, small cap focused portfolio uh, or a piece of your portfolio that you might want to focus a little bit more on that, on that market. Uh, as we look into 2021, as we see the economy, not just growing in 2021 as we see the stimulus packages go through but really this the the nimbleness of the small caps to be able to take advantage advantage of the pandemic shift that we saw in 2020 um, the pandemic forcing not just existing or, or new um, companies but existing sectors to really pivot uh, how they do things how they go, go to market. And it's these nimble, smaller caps that uh, can really get you there. So there's a lot more names behind this to, to have a full portfolio. I just want to give you an example of how they can check boxes and how to look at different sectors and look for those right headwinds. Uh, but reach out to us. We're happy to go into more detail. With that, I'm going to sign off and let you enjoy, hopefully, the rest of your sunny day. Um, get out there on a patio. Uh, as always, great to have you with us. Um, you can to find our podcast on all of the major streaming services and our YouTube video if you want to forward this off to anyone. And I look forward to talking to you next week. Thank you all and take care.